0: Hi, welcome back to another episode of Cycling Talk Podcast with me, George Mahoney. Today I'm joined by Grand Tour stage winner and Olympian rider for Israel Premier Tech, Michael Woods. Sometimes my mum suggests to me riders that she thinks would be good guests on the podcast. And way back in the summer of 2020, she listened to an episode of Life in the Peloton with Mitch Docker where he interviewed Michael she said to me that I should try and get him on the podcast. So I listened to the episode and I knew straight away that I really wanted Michael to be on. A year later, I met him at the end of a stage of the Tour of Britain and he was so friendly and immediately said yes to being on the podcast. Thank you so much to Michael for being on and for being so open about his incredibly difficult experiences in his life. I hope you all enjoy listening to Michael's story. Thank you for joining me today, Michael.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: What's your first memory of being on a bike?
1: My first memory of being on the bike. Well, I actually started cycling quite early. Um, my parents. I, I didn't. I didn't start bike racing, but I started just riding a bike when I was very young. Uh, and I think my very first memory of riding a bike was the first time I rode on two wheels with my my dad. My dad took me to mm-hmm. the park, and I was. Just uh, three and a half, I think. So, ripping around in the park in the park on, uh, on on two wheels.
0: What's the first bike you remember being really excited about?
1: Ooh, uh, certainly it was that bike. Uh, I got that for my my birthday, mm. and uh, yeah, I still remember being just super excited. It's one of my earliest memories is getting that bike.
0: What bike was it?
1: I couldn't even tell you the brand. I was just a really small kid's bike. Um, Yeah, I know the first, but the first bike I, I got as a, as a rider, I was quite, I was a lot older. Uh, I was uh, 20, 23 when I first started road riding uh, 24. And uh, again, my dad got me as a, as a birthday present. I was really lucky. I'd been stealing my dad's road bike to cross Mm -hmm. train because I used to be a runner and he for my birthday uh bought me uh, a track bike an aluminum uh frame track bike and uh i thought it was amazing
0: so i know cycling wasn't the first sport that you did growing up can you tell me about the ice hockey that you did when you were younger
1: yeah so i i started uh cycling quite late and it wasn't my first sport at all uh i grew up in Canada and Canada is a hockey crazy country uh it's the birthplace of hockey and Canadians are super passionate about that sport and it was all I thought about when I was really young mm-hmm. and all I cared about and uh yeah I played hockey uh, all throughout my childhood all the way until uh I was in high school um and from there actually transitioned into uh into into running uh mm-hmm. Yeah, went from hockey into running. Uh, cycling really never entered the equation for me until I was quite a bit older.
0: And you were an incredible runner, and you even won gold in the fifteen hundred in the Pan American Junior Championships. That's just incredible.
1: Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, no, I I got into r- running um, short in in high school and just mm. fell in love with it. Fell in love with um, pushing myself and finding my limits and uh just became so passionate about it and yeah i was able to have success uh pretty fast and ultimately uh yeah came won the pan-american junior championships and earned a full scholarship to the university of michigan uh where i i i I attended school and also raced and uh, yeah just had a really nice uh running career uh early on but then had a number of injuries and those injuries uh pushed me out of pushed me out of the sport
0: How did stopping running lead on to you getting into cycling?
1: So once I started having injuries with running, I started to ride my dad's bike uh, just to cross strength, to maintain fitness because I was injured. And while doing that, I started to really fall in love with cycling. Um, With running, I was always injured in my final years as a runner. And one thing that I was, it was starting to become a source of anxiety. I was starting to get um, down on myself, get sad. And every every time I ran, it wasn't this uh, action that made me feel good. It was an action that made me feel bad because I was just constantly injured. And the first few rides that I went on uh, during that period were amazing for me because all of a sudden I experienced this release. No longer was I hurting when I was doing an activity. I was feeling good. And, uh, it really helped me, uh, get out of a bad place mentally when I was, uh, an injured runner. And, uh, yeah, I, I quickly fell in love with it just, uh, just because of the same, sen- I was experiencing those same sensations of pushing myself, but also one thing I really enjoyed was how far it would take me running. You don't go very far. Uh, like the longest run you're doing is maybe 30 kilometers as a, as a middle distance runner. And, uh. Uh, for a cyclist, that's that's nothing, and all of a sudden, I was able to go much further from my hometown, from my, my home, and explore new places. And yeah, I felt really fortunate to be be uh, finding this new sport.
0: Can you tell me about your first race and why you decided to go further with cycling?
1: Uh, I I made a big commitment to cycling at twenty five. Uh, prior to that, I was riding just to stay in shape. But uh, I still had this dream of making the Olympics and running. And uh, finally, in 2011, um, I ran a, my last running race. I ran a 10K on the road and broke my foot in the race and just was devastated after. But I decided that this was going to be my opportunity to, to try something new. And fortunately, my, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, Ellie, Uh, she was really supportive of it and she said yeah give let's give give cycling a shot and I'll help support you and so I I, uh, uh, joined a a local bike shop team the year following uh, when I was 25 and uh, started racing from there.
0: Uh, What sort of training were you doing once you got more into cycling?
1: Well once I started getting more into cycling I uh, connected with my coach who's now still is my coach in 2013 uh his name is paulo saldana he's the head of performance with isn sorry with uh now our new sponsor is real premier tech and uh he yeah was the head of performance he's the head of performance here but uh at the time he wasn't coaching uh at the world tour level he had several riders at the world tour Mm -hmm. um uh, several canadian riders and he yeah, I started working with him and he really focused on having me do a lot of really short, hard intervals. Uh, We recognized that I had a really good punch for a climber and we wanted to really focus on that um, because we knew that uh, in the races that I'd be doing in North America, it was really important to have a really good one minute, two minute, five minute power. And so we really focused on that just so I could try and get noticed and move up to the professional ranks in Europe.
0: What was your first national race like?
1: My first national race was in 2012. And uh, it was it was okay. Uh, it went, went all right. Uh, nothing to, to really uh, uh, celebrate at the end. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not even sure. I forget what position I placed. But I certainly wasn't at the top level. Um, And I just didn't have the skills or the experience to to be in uh, a position to do well. And uh, it was an eye opening experience that made me realize how much I had to improve. Um, and at the time, there was a team that was racing called uh, Spider Tech, which was a professional team in Canada, and they they were so dominant. And my big goal was to be on that team, try and make Spider Tech.
0: How did you find your first international race?
1: So my first international race um, was a race called Tour de Beauce in Canada, but it was a UCI uh, 2.2. So uh, um, teams from all over the world uh, were coming uh, teams from North America, from Europe, uh, from but predominantly from North America. And it went really well. I represented the, I was lucky enough to get selected for the national team. And I did this race and, on the national team were two World Tour riders, one guy by the name of Swain Tuft and another, uh, another named Christian Meyer, both uh, really accomplished World Tour riders and uh, really strong Canadian riders. And they, they really took me under of the wing and gave me advice. And at the race, I made every mistake possible, but I, I think I impressed them. And I impressed, impressed them enough to, mm. to get help from them and uh, have them as references to get on bigger teams.
0: You turned pro in 2013. Can you tell me about signing your first pro contract?
1: Yeah, so I, I guess in 2013, I, I wrote, I started riding for a continental team. Um, and when you ride for a Conti team, in some ways, it doesn't really feel like you're, you're a pro cyclist at all. Yeah. Um, you're not making any money. Uh, but uh, it did feel like I was moving in the right direction. I think when I first signed my real real Pro contract was when I went to the world tour and for Garmin for, sorry for uh Cannondale in 2016. And that was a much more exciting moment for me making really feel like I, I made it. Yeah. Um, and that was an amazing experience because for me starting cycling so late, I started at 25. It was a big risk. Um, and a lot of, a lot of people thought what I was doing was crazy mm-hmm. and all of the things that I like, I, I crashed a lot, had a lot of setbacks and I spent a lot of time over the course of four years questioning why I was doing what I was doing, why I was taking these big risks. Why was I hurting myself? Why was I putting myself through this? And when I finally signed a contract with and went to the world tour in 2016, uh, it was a really nice moment. I, I was with my, my wife we were married then uh, at that point, Ellie and we uh, we just felt like wow this was all worth it. You put yourself through all this, but now mm. you got a nice contract, you are make some nice money, and um, you're gonna get to I'm gonna get to ride on on one of the biggest, biggest teams in the world, and uh, it was really special for me.
0: As you mentioned in 2016, you started your time with Canada cannondale Pack Pro Cycling Team, and you were selected to represent Canada in the 2016 olympics how did it feel to become an olympian
1: that was an amazing moment for me uh, becoming an olympian um, as a runner the olympics meant everything to me
0: mm.
1: and uh, the olympics to runners particularly mean a lot more uh, than the olympics to cyclists i find uh, just because with running it is the be all and all track mm. and field is the marquee event at the olympics and it's all I really cared about doing. And even prior to that, as a kid, when I was uh, 10, uh, sorry, when I was yeah 10 years old, I still remember watching the 1996 Olympics where Donovan Bailey and the Canadian four by 100 meter team beat the Americans and won Olympic gold. And I just remember watching that on TV and my parents going crazy and my family going crazy and everyone cheering and thinking, I want to be an Olympian. I want to go to the Olympics.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So once i started getting injured with running it really felt like that dream was lost and finally when i started getting back getting into cycling and started showing a potential in cycling i set that as my main and only objective my only objective was to make it to the olympics if i could make the olympics then that, that's all i wanted from the sport um so when i i qualified and i went it was just this dream come true and mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I broke my my I crashed at I crashed quite a bit in that season. It was my first year as a pro and I just made a lot of mistakes, crashed quite a bit, and I actually broke my greater trochanter three weeks before the games, but I didn't tell anybody because I just wanted to go to the Olympics so badly. And I, I went to I went to Rio and didn't perform nearly as well as I, I wanted to, but I was just so happy to be there. Uh, it was it was an amazing experience. And it also, I think, in many ways made me a better rider because as I was flying back home after the Games, I started thinking about, well, I've achieved this goal. I've achieved this goal of being an Olympian, but I feel like I have so much more to, to improve on and I'm capable of improving more. So it made me, made me think, okay, uh, setting the goal of just being an Olympian isn't enough. I need to I need to start setting bigger goals.
0: So you moved from continental teams to a pro team in 2016. How did you find that different to do with cultures and languages?
1: Yeah, moving from continental teams to the world tour is a huge jump. Uh, fortunately, I had some exposure to international racing and being on international teams I rode, because I rode for an Italian team for half a season in twenty. Uh, 14. I rode for Morevita, and it was a crazy experience riding for this Italian team. And I uh, have a lot of stories from that pe- period of time. It was it was a really tough period, but uh, also really good education in cycling in in Europe. And so it made the transition over to uh, the World Tour easier, especially because I, I I got exposure to racing with Italians, and there were some Italians on the team when I came over to Cannondale because Cannondale had merged with. With liquid gas the year previous, an Italian team, and uh, also uh, having ridden on rally the year previous, I did get to race mm-hmm. against some world tour teams at some bigger races, but all of that didn't fully prepare me for the world tour at all. Um, there's a huge uh, difference in ability at level when you go to the world tour, uh, world tour races require so much more skill so much more tactics and also just so much more sheer physical ability. The level is just that much higher. Uh, Every rider in the world tour is, uh, was the best of their group at the continental level. And uh, when you have success at the continental level, you think, okay, well, it shouldn't be that much harder to have success at the world tour. But then you come up and you realize that every guy, that you're racing against one at the level lower and mm. it makes it that much harder and uh, I really had to improve my mental game my physical game uh, just to keep up
0: do you have any stories from your time with Amor and Vita
1: oh yeah for sure I have lots of uh, stories and uh uh yeah just a lot of interesting stories uh, the team is a is a continental team based in Italy uh, but they were at the time registered in Ukraine, and um, I my, the, even from my first day, I remember getting off the plane, landing in Italy, and thinking, "Okay, this is going to be a, uh, a great experience. This is going to be exciting." And I remember going to the team apartment and going into the team apartment. The team apartment was a two-bedroom apartment with eight riders, <laughs> four in each room, four cots, mold everywhere and a mechanic that slept on the couch and i was 27 at the time and i remember that first night lying on the cot looking up at the ceiling and thinking what am i doing why am i doing this this was was this the biggest mistake i've ever made uh and there are a lot of other moments like that racing we did a lot of crazy races we did a race in mexico called Fuelta, mexico and it was it was a wild experience where i ended up getting so sick i got so such a bad stomach bug and Oh, I just, our team ran out of water with 60 kilometers left in one of the stages. And I was just, I've never been more dehydrated and more sick in my life. Uh, It was awful. I thought I was going to die. Yeah. There are quite a few stories like that, but uh, I survived and they made me tougher. And because of uh, my time there, I was able to uh, get on an American based continental team Mm -hmm. called five hour energy. And Although that team was also folding, I had success there and uh, was able to get noticed by Rally, which at the time was called Optum, but they're now uh, Rally, and uh, that was uh, my springboard for for the world tour.
0: So in your second year with Drap Pack, you completed not one, but two Grand Tours, the Giro d'Italia and the Vuelta a España. Firstly, can you tell me about your Giro?
1: So the Giro was an amazing experience for me the year previous, in 2016. The plan was for me to race uh, a Grand Tour, uh, but the last race before the Giro d'Italia, I broke my hand. I broke my hand in three places uh, at Liège-Bastogne-Liège, I crashed. Um, it wasn't my fault, this one. It was just bad luck. I hit a pothole and my wheel exploded. I flipped over, landed on my hand, broke my hand. So I got pulled off the Giro roster because I wasn't able to do it. So then the team put me on the Tour roster. And I was really, I was so excited for that because I was going to be a Neo pro and then potentially doing the tour. But just before the Tour of Swiss, which was the final race I was going to do before the tour, I was riding to the service course, my team service course, and just flip flops, t-shirt shorts, and I had two rain bags in my hand and one rain bag slipped out of my hands, went to the front of my spokes. I flipped over, landed on my face, lost a tooth uh, and rebroke my hand. So it was just an, another a really stupid move on my part. It was because my hand wasn't fully healed from the first fracture as well. That was the, reason, the main reason why I lost the bag, crashed again, and was pulled off the tour roster. So finally, the last Grand Tour I was supposed to do that se- season, the team put me on the Vuelta roster, and I was supposed to do the Vuelta. But because I crashed a tour of Poland and broke my greater trochanter, uh, I, I got pulled off of that roster. So I trained and prepared for all three Grand Tours and did zero. And so the next year, my only goal was to start a Grand Tour. And the team had put me on the Giro d'Italia roster, and I just made sure that I was going to come there and arrive healthy. And it was such a relief to just start the race because I'd gone through so much crap the year before to try and do it, do a Grand Tour. Uh, So I was so excited just to be there. And it was a very... An eye opening experience. It re- recalibrated what my perception of difficult was. Uh, I had to uh, learn a lot more about what I could do physically. When mm-hmm. you do your first grand tour, uh, it, you're just really going into the unknown uh, because the longest stage race I'd done before that was uh, much shorter. And basically, every day after that second rest day was uh, an unknown to me. And so I, did, I held back a lot um, because I just wasn't sure how I'd respond. But um, I really felt like I got better over the course of the three weeks. And I even had, a, had some good performances. Uh, I, would, I, I played a role in helping uh, my teammate Pierre Roland win a stage. and It was our first uh, stage win at a Grand Tour in several years with uh, Cannondale. So it was, it was quite exciting. It was a really nice win. And I still remember Pierre, uh, who was at the time a, a, a legend of the peloton. He he told me at the end of the race, he's like, Mike, you don't know your potential yet. You don't know what you're capable of. And that really inspired me and got me motivated. And it left me uh, physically ready for uh, the Vuelta. And mm-hmm. that, that second grand tour that I did that year was the Vuelta. And I had a great performance there. I, I finished seventh.
0: Do you think doing so well in the Giro gave you the confidence to get seventh in the GC in the Vuelta?
1: Yeah, I think it, it really did. It really made me feel like uh, uh, I could compete in a Grand Tour and it made me understand that I, I could have success over the course of three weeks. Um, yeah, it really um, made me uh, see racing in a different way. Grand Tour racing is is uh so it's it's fast fast tracks the cyclist learning curve uh makes them more knowledgeable and uh stronger and physically better and yeah i came out of that Giro just with so much more confidence and i just started to really understand racing a lot better
0: in the following year in the Vuelta, you had a stage win on stage 17 how did it feel to win that and can you tell me about the race
1: yeah, so that that win certainly was to this day the most important win of my career and uh, the most special win of my career. Uh, winning that uh, stage was the first time I'd won at the world tour level. Uh, but also, uh, two months before that stage, my wife and I, uh, my wife had a still, my wife and I had we had a stillbirth. Uh, we had a son who was who died at birth and his uh, name was Hunter and it was a huge loss for us. It was uh, heartbreaking and devastating and um, just a really tough period for my wife and I, Mm. but after he passed away, I really, uh, I really devoted myself to training and uh, I didn't know how to solve the pain that we were both in and how to make things better. But I thought that maybe by having success in racing, I could, could just bring some joy back to our lives. And, uh, I invested myself so fully in the bike after his death, uh, in an attempt to honor him as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I really trained and pushed myself to a new level. And, um, in the race on, 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 uh, the, that stage, uh, I, I I went so deep. Uh, I was in a group uh, in in a breakaway uh, with a very strong group. Dylan Toons was there, uh, a guy who's worn yellow at the tour, and uh, David De La Cruz, as well as uh, Rafa Micah, uh, former uh, King of the Mountain winner and tour as well. And I, I, Dylan Toons attacked first, but I, I came over top of him thinking that we were really close to the finish. And right as I passed him, I assumed that we only had a hundred meters left. Uh, but when I passed him, I looked up and saw that we had 500 meters still to go. And it was extremely steep, this mountaintop finish. Uh, but, uh, uh I just, uh, I started to panic a bit and over the radio, over my race radio, my director, who is well aware of, the loss that we'd experienced uh, two months earlier. Um, he just came on the radio and said, Mike, do it for your family. And uh, I've never dug as deep as I've dug before. Uh, uh, but that inspired me to just push that much harder and hold off. I was able to hold, uh, hold off Dylan and get my first win. And I don't think I, I don't think I cried probably every day for the the week after that, that race. I, 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 it was a really emotional moment and really, uh, Uh, this real release of emotions and uh, yeah I'll forever remember it
0: oh wow you did the Jura again that year and you also took part in the Ardennes classics and you finished second in the age best on the age what do you remember about that day
1: yeah that was a great day for me Uh, I I was on great form and just feeling really good I, I hadn't had a great start to the season but uh, finally at, at Liège I always tend to to come around and I uh, just felt really good that day um, and uh, unfortunately um, Bob Jungels attacked and, and won solo but from the group I I, I, I won from the group uh, against Roman Bardet we, we attacked uh, the group uh, with uh, a few kilometers remaining in the race and held them off and yeah I finished second and Again, it was a really emotional win. We'd got um, my wife. uh, It was it was that was a really tough year for my wife, particularly she lost her dad uh, um, in in that month as well. And uh, uh, it was uh, really nice just to to call her up afterwards and and just share that that excitement that you know I I come second at Liege-Bastogne-Liege, almost won a monument. It it did really show me that I I have the ability to win a monument.
0: And you had an incredible third in the world champs that year. Uh, the day was super long and not a huge amount happened until the last 40 kilometers with you and a group going for it on the final climb ending in a sprint finish between the four of you. What was going through your mind in the last few kilometers of the race?
1: Yeah, I I was on a great day that day and felt really good. I attacked on the final climb and, uh, wheeled the group down to three, uh, and then Tom Dumoulin was able to bridge across in the final kilometers. But in the sprint, I I really thought I was going to win. I felt so good, and with a 150 maybe 200 meters to go, I started to step out into the wind to pass Alejandro Valverde because Valverde opened the, the sprint quite early, and I I thought uh, he's just leading me out, and I thought I was going to win, and then with With about 100 meters to go, I just cramped up completely. Uh, Just total uh, electrolyte deficiency and cramped up and I had to sit down and I went from thinking I was going to win the race to coming third. And uh, it was funny finishing that race because at that point, it was probably the biggest result of my career. Uh, I finished and my swan year was there. A guy named John Adams, he's a Canadian guy. Uh, We couldn't have been more opposite on the emotional spectrum uh, he was so excited and so ha- happy for me that I just came third of the World Championships. And I was so devastated because I just thought I was going to win the World Championships, but I came third. But after, you know, giving each other some high fives and targets, I came around and was quite, quite pleased.
0: Am I right in thinking you're only the second Canadian rider to get on the podium at the World Champs in the Red Race?
1: Yes, yeah. Um, Steve Bauer was the first and only other Canadian to do so. He, uh, he he finished third as well. I believe 1984, 1986, I, I, I'm not 100% sure.
0: In 2019, you did your first Tour de France with EF Education First. What can you tell me about this experience?
1: That was a really cool experience as well, uh, being able to do the tour. Uh, although my first goal was to do uh, the Olympics as a cyclist, before I was a cyclist, uh, as a runner, I would watch the tour every year mm-hmm. and I knew nothing about cycling, but I knew about the tour de France mm-hmm. and every summer after my morning run, I'd come home and watch uh, the tour because in Canada, uh, the stages would only finish around 11 o'clock in the morning. So I'd do my morning run, come back and, and then watch, watch the tour and just hang out until my afternoon session on the track. And I'd get so excited watching the race and, and think, you know, it'd be cool to do that one day.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so then to, to fast forward, 10 years later be at the Tour de France and or a bit more actually fast forward 15 years later be at the Tour de France and, and uh, competing there was uh, a dream realized and um, especially having it start in Belgium uh, pre-COVID so there were just so many people thousands of people coming out chanting Eddie Merckx's name um, it, it was a really unique experience and also one that made me realize how big the tour is I've, I, by that at that point, I'd raced all the other big races, pretty much aside from Flanders and Roubaix, um, and had uh, done the Olympics and done monuments. But uh, the Tour is just n- another level. I I started receiving messages from friends I hadn't heard from in years. Just mm-hmm. getting a lot more coverage within Canada, particularly. Um, you just really feel that the Tour is that much bigger, and there's such such a big magnifying glass on it.
0: How was it different from the Giro and the Vuelta?
1: Yeah, compared to the Giro and the Vuelta, I mean, the Giro and the Vuelta are quite are amazing races, quite demanding. Uh, actually, from a terrain perspective, both the Giro and the Vuelta are, are often way harder, way more difficult. But the stress uh, of the peloton, um, the energy around it uh, is just immense compared to those two uh, in the Tour. The Tour is such an intense three weeks because the world is watching. You really feel that. You feel like billions of people are watching the race. Um, and so guys race far differently than they do in, in other races in the World Tour. Everyone's more desperate. Everyone's willing to take greater risks. And that's why you see these big crashes and these big pileups. And you see uh, uh, seasoned veterans making rookie mistakes because there's just that much more pressure. Uh, And you really feel that, you really feel the difference between uh, all the races and and the Tour. And that's why I really enjoy racing the Giro and the Vuelta because it's a lot more relaxed. But the Tour just draws you back in because it's the big show.
0: Later that year, you took the win in Milano-Torino. I know you came second in that race in 2016. Did that make the win even more special?
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I love that race. It's a race that's tailor made for me. I like all the Italian classics, particularly. They're races that are really, uh, really suit my skill set, and also there's a there there's a laid back nature to them. They're a bit less stressful and they're a bit more fun just because they're at the end of the season. Everyone's in a bit different headspace. Uh, But uh, to have won there was a really nice, really nice, particularly because it was against such a strong field. Uh, Alejandro Valverde was second, and then Adam Yates was third, and uh several other really strong riders were, were in the mix as well. Uh, so it was it was, a, it was a great win for me, probably uh, one of my biggest ones, and that was my first uh, one-day win, uh, so it was a nice one.
0: 2020 started with Paranese for you in early March, which ended with a crash in Stage 5, resulting in a broken femur. Can you tell me what happened?
1: Yeah, I was doing... Nice and um, at that time, COVID was starting to rear its ugly head in Europe. Uh, everyone was thinking about it. And I almost didn't do the race because I was worried about, about it. And uh, I think that certainly was occupying my headspace in that period. Uh, I was distracted when I was racing. And when you're distracted when you're racing in the World Tour, it's, it's a very dangerous thing. Uh, very, it's very dangerous and uh like focus is so important and i just was not focused i was uh coming around the corner um, actually passing several riders uh when the group the 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 riders in front of me misread the corner a bit and they started breaking and so i uh, because i was carrying more speed had to break even more but i was faced with this decision as to whether i should go into the riders in front of me or or try and go into the the grass and and just slow down in the grass. And so I chose the grass. Uh, But uh, as I entered the grass, I was carrying too much speed. There's uh, the grass was wet. And then all of a sudden this culvert just opened up in front of me. I hit it, flipped over and then landed right on a rock. My right leg connected with this rock. And instantly I knew I'd broken the femur. Um, It was a devastating crash uh, or really mentally tough crash because it hurt so bad. It hurt physically and also hurt mentally because when I looked down at my leg and saw the state that I was in, I really, I, re- I realized that my Olympic dream for 2020 was over. Uh, I realized that I probably wouldn't be racing for the rest of the season. Um, yeah, I was, I was, I was really worried. Uh, but uh, fortunately, I had a great, a really successful surgery, and uh, COVID happened. And instead of missing the Olympics and miss, missing any racing, I literally missed zero days in the calendar. The first World Tour race after uh, my femur fracture was Stradivari in uh, in August, and I'd made a full recovery over the course of COVID, the uh, over over the course of the lockdown, and was able to start that race. So I literally missed. I'm probably the first and only rider to have ever. Uh, uh broken my femur and peronese and still been able to do stratobiology.
0: sounds like you've broken a lot of bones in your time as a cyclist
1: definitely uh i mean cycling's a dangerous sport a lot of riders uh who've been riding it for as long as i have now have had a long list of injuries i certainly probably have a bit more than most guys just because i came into the sport so late and was missing those fundamental skills Mm. uh but uh uh, the 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 devastating injuries are, are uh, I feel like are are slowing down. Uh, they're becoming f- fewer and further between. Hopefully, I can keep that trend up. Knock on wood.
0: So as you mentioned, then the pandemic hit and racing was cancelled, uh, and you were still recovering from your injury at the start of all the lockdowns. How did COVID and your injury affect motivation and how did your recovery go?
1: I think COVID and uh, my injury really impacted my motivation positively. Um, I benefited from both. uh, I certainly benefited from both in the long run. Um, my, My wife gave birth to my daughter in January of that year. And had I not been injured and had COVID not happened, then I, I wouldn't have spent that much time with her. Uh, we're on, our Riders are on the road all through the season. And um, even when you have kids, you don't get to spend as much time with them as you'd like. And when I broke my femur and when we went to lockdown, I got to spend a lot more time with her, watch her grow and it was really special. And she was at the perfect age where I didn't have to walk to be able to take care of her. She couldn't move. She was only two, three months old. So she would just lie in my lap and I'd watch her coo and caw and, mm-hmm. and uh, grow up and give her tickles and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, uh, seeing her, uh, grow in my arms was just a really motivating experience. And also having broken my femur, just the act of coming back, motivated me in, in a pretty dark period for a lot of people during a pretty dark people period for a lot of people. Uh, uh, I actually had this motivation. I had this purpose. I had this, ability, this, this, uh, drive day in and day out to just get back to walking and get back to being able to ride a bike. And, uh, by the time the lockdown was over seven weeks after I crashed, um, I was allowed to ride outside and, uh, it was, uh, amazing timing. The first day, that pro riders were allowed to ride outside in, uh, uh, where, in where I was based um, uh, was the first time that uh, the doctors allowed me to ride outside. So the timing couldn't have been better. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, yeah, uh, it, it just worked out really well for me.
0: And as you mentioned, you started racing again in August with Strada Bianchi. How did you prepare to reboot your road season so late?
1: Well, unlike all the other, most of my competition and most of the other riders in the Peloton, uh, I was coming in fresh because I didn't, I wasn't flogging myself. I wasn't pushing myself super hard, uh, in the first weeks after, uh, like during the first weeks during the lockdown. And so I had a really nice natural build progression to, uh, uh, those first races. What was really challenging for me was just the fear factor and, uh, the, one of the most technically demanding and dangerous races that you could do in the year is probably Strada Bianchi just was is madness, especially in the period that I was in, which is August, uh, because there's so much dust in the road, you could not see anything. You couldn't see anything in front of you. And it, it was like racing blind and it was just terrifying for me. It was, uh, probably the worst ra- race in many ways to start with. But then having done that as the first race, uh, it was like uh, having a ripping the Band-Aid right off. I just mm. got through it and uh, made every race after feel less dangerous and kind of uh, prepared me well.
0: And in, in September, you raced Triano adriatico and got a stage win and had high results in all of the classifications. Did it feel great to start your season again with a good result?
1: Yeah, definitely. It, it was really nice to, to get that win. And uh, especially, I, I did question whether I'd be able to make a full comeback after I broke my femur. Um, also, my the team had chosen not to take me to the tour, which I was really upset about. I wanted to go and do the tour that year, um, but the team did not select me. Uh, so to have uh, one in Torino was not just a, a real, uh, real, proud moment for me but it was also a a, a sign to my team to say hey like I was if you had taken me to the tour I would have done well
0: and then the year ended with the Vuelta in October and November how was the racing different because of the time of year and were you pleased to take a stage win and two seconds
1: yeah definitely that was without a doubt the best grand tour I've been a part of um not only did I have some great results but also uh Magnus Court had a win, a stage win as well. My teammate, and so did Hugh Carthy. And then Hugh, Hugh Carthy won on the Angluru and also finished third overall. So it was just really a, a great team race. Uh, it was a great team performance. Um, it was a great way for me to finish my career with EF as well. Uh, uh, so it was it, it, it was really a nice period for me. Um, it was mentally difficult just because it was so late in the year. It was so weird racing in November. Uh, temperature wise. Uh, light wise, uh, racing in Spain, uh, often there are stages start quite late. So we'd be finishing, we'd be starting at one o'clock. And by the time we were finishing, it was almost dark, uh, mm-hmm. coming back on the team bus it'd be, it'd be dark outside. And, uh, it was just weird, weird, uh, to do that. Um, also, uh, the weather was uh, a factor. There were days mm-hmm. that were just, uh, heinous and, and quite, quite challenging. But uh, in many ways, it benefited me. I, I felt like uh, uh, doing that Grand Tour prepared me really well for 2021. And, uh, yeah, like I mentioned, it was just a really nice way to finish my career
0: with uh, EF. So then you started 2021 with Israel Startup Nation. And it started well for you with a second in the GC in Tour de Alps.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, O'Far was a, a great result for me and I won, won the stage three and had the leader's Jersey only to lose on the final day, which was uh, an upsetting moment for me just because I wanted to, to, to win the overall and uh, to lost it by five seconds was tough, but it was also a great way for, for me to have started this season. Um, And uh, coming over to ISN was uh, a big moment for me. Uh, In many ways, it was a, a return home because my coach who, who really believed in me when I first started and, and uh, was the guy that that in many ways is the reason why I'm a pro cyclist today. He he Paulo, my coach, he, he told me to quit my job. He told me he'd sort out funding for me when I first started riding. Um, he was he's the head of performance at at ISN, and um, the funding that he got for me in order for me to quit my job when I first started was from a guy named Sylvan Adams, who is the owner of Israel Startup Nation, and uh, both. Coming over to ISN and coming coming over to to work with them, um, I really wanted to honor their their belief in me, and uh, I felt like just by by winning right off the bat and having a good result was a great uh, way to set the tone for the year.
0: And then you took stage win in Tour de Romandy, and you won the mountains classification in Tour de Suisse. You must have been so happy with the start to your twenty twenty one season.
1: Yeah, it was a great start. Um, The season overall was a a success for me, Uh, as my best season to date. But it was also just missing the big results. I was close on so many occasions. I had a lot of fifth places and uh, a lot of you know near 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 wins, but not quite. And uh, that's the only thing that is really motivating me now is I want to uh, come into this season with even. even bigger results, better performances. Uh, I want to get a big win.
0: And then you took part in the Tour de France, which had a crazy first week, even more than normal. How did you find that?
1: It was uh, uh, super intense. Um, I crashed in the very first stage uh, at a really high speed um, and it really scared me. Uh, We were going really fast, about 70 kilometers an hour when the crash happened, and there was just nothing I could do. And, and that really kind of, that, that, that scared me quite a bit. Um, it's kind of set the tone for the rest of the tour. Uh, I was able to, to, to have some success there, but not the success that Corey wanted. And uh, the crashes that I, I had impacted me pretty significantly um, and left me kind of just really more focused on the Olympics. But yeah, I'll, I'll never forget that, the intensity of that first week and how dangerous it was and just, just wishing I wasn't where I was.
0: Having broken so many bones, are you more affected by crashes, both mentally and physically?
1: Yeah, I think more so just by age. Um, You start realizing that as you get older, um, you want to be able to be a healthy, functioning human being. And you want to be able to walk and run and do things with your kids when you're older. Um, So that certainly impacts me. I try and race my bike in a more conservative fashion than I have before. But at the same time, if you want to win, you have to be willing to take risks and uh, there's, there's a balance of that. and uh, I feel like I've f- figured out how to balance that better than in years past. Um, but uh, uh, you have to be willing to, you have to, every time you race, you have to, you have to just be comfortable with the fact that you are going to crash at some point.
0: You headed straight off to Tokyo after the Tour de France to compete in the Olympic Games. How did this Games compare to Rio in 2016?
1: Uh, much different circumstances in so many ways. I felt like uh, Tokyo was an amazing experience, but it certainly didn't feel like I was at the Olympics because of COVID. Uh, we were sequestered in a cycling-only hotel. So basically half the, the hotel was the same people I'd just seen at the Tour de France. And half the half the hotel was based in the cycling hubs that is based in the cycling hubs that I live in Andorra, uh, where, where I'm a resident and then a where I've been, I I've lived in the past and, and trained in, in the winters. Um, so yeah, you just see all, it really felt like I, I, I could have been anywhere in the world. Didn't feel like I was at the Olympic games, but also coming into those Olympics, I was just in such better shape and I had a better understanding of who I was as a bike racer and, Instead of coming in not knowing what I could do, I came in with the the goal of of getting a medal and trying to win. And uh, I didn't quite do that, but I really felt like I had a great, a strong race. I was fifth; I placed fifth, uh, but I was I was in contention. I felt like I was so close for the win, and uh, it was so it was really nice to race the race like that, to come in as as a guy expected to do well and to to really affect the race.
0: So then you did your first tour of Britain and I actually met you at the end of stage one in Bobman when you were sat on the steps of the Israel bus eating a pasty. (laughs) Uh, How did you find your tour of Britain and did you enjoy trying some traditional British food?
1: Tour of Britain was awesome. Yeah, it was was great meeting you there. Um, It was great eating that pasty. That was one of the highlights for me of the race. Um, Unfortunately, the first race hotel we stayed at, the food was not, great um and that pasty after we finished i i, I was one year uh named john adams i, I think i even brought up, mentioned him earlier in this podcast but he's a canadian and he was he was uh tour britain as well and he made sure that we had those pasties mm-hmm. and he, he bought them on the side of the road and brought them to us and they tasted so good mm-hmm. I, I i'm a big fan and there i felt like it was great post-race food for sure um Tour France is a unique race for me because I, I don't know if I'll ever have a chance to race it again. Just the way it falls in the calendar. Normally, I'm at the Vuelta, or if I'm not at the Vuelta, I do the Canadian Ra- World Tour races in Montreal, Quebec. But uh, because uh, I focused on the Olympics this year and my son was due to be born uh, in August, uh, I didn't do the Vuelta. And because of COVID, Montreal Quebec were cancelled. So... I immediately jumped at the opportunity to do a Tour of Britain and it didn't disappoint. I had a great time. The roads were super cool, really challenging, really fun to race on. And for me as an Anglophone, uh, it's rare that I get to race in a country where the native language is English and uh, to, to do a race where it is English uh, is, is really uh nice it's really comfortable Mm -hmm. um it it makes it for me a lot more fun just because i can can, i can converse with the fans better Mm -hmm. i can speak with people and understand what's going on far better um i can speak other languages i can speak a bit of spanish i can speak french Uh, but it's just not the same as speaking your your native language Mm -hmm. and then finally i have relatives from from uh uh the uk and Uh, I haven't I I've only been to I'd only been to London before and uh Manchester and Yorkshire uh, for the world championships so I haven't seen much of of the UK uh and to have done it the way we did it which was the full length of the UK pretty much uh finishing in Aberdeen pretty much uh was was really cool uh just Mm seemed like the a vast amount of the UK uh i really enjoyed and just realized how beautiful it was and uh a lot of the time i was thinking about how uh you know 10 15 years from now i'm going to have to bring the kids for a little bike touring trip uh through the uk
0: so we're now in 2022 and you're with israel premier tech Uh, what are your goals for this year
1: yeah, I think this is a, a nice year for me in the sense that there are no Olympics. I'm not going to focus on the world championships because they're in Australia and they don't suit me. So it's a bit more of a relaxed year. Uh, but at the same time, I have big goals. I want to try and win a monument. I want to try and win a stage of the tour. Um, and yeah, I want to be uh, more, more prolific in the number of wins I have. Uh, so although it's lower pressure, I do have bigger expectations and uh, I think it's going to be a nice mix. Uh, I'm, I feel like I'm in a good place physically right now. I'm improving every day and um, excited for the year to come, especially now we've got Premier Tech on board at a Canadian company. Uh, so this, this team is a really nice mix of all riders, uh, Israeli to riders from all over Europe, but also has a really strong Canadian contingent and it makes me really feel like I'm racing for, for a Canadian team. And to me, that's, that's really nice.
0: Where do you see yourself in the next few years?
1: Well, yeah, I still have several uh, uh, goals that I want to accomplish. I want to win a monument. I want to try and win a global championships. Um, having not won a medal at the Olympics, uh, I'm really hoping that the Paris Olympics is a hard course, a challenging course. If it is, uh, that's certainly a goal of mine. Uh, I'm not super young, I'm 35 years old, but I want to race for several more years. I feel like I have uh saw four or five more years left in me. And uh, yeah, I still feel like I, I can improve and get better. And uh, I, yeah, I want to continue that trajectory.
0: What's your favorite race you've ever done?
1: Oh, uh, tough question, but I love the Italian classics, but I, I'm going to have to say Liege-Bastel the age. I've had a lot of success there and it's just such a, a hard race. Um, I've also broke my hand there. But uh, overall, I just, I've always liked the Ardennes and yeah, the Asia's is just a cool race.
0: Uh, Which Grand Tour is your
1: favourite? I'd have to say the Vuelta. Um, I mean, I love the tour. The tour is amazing, but I I don't, the only reason why I love it is just because it's the big show. The Vuelta is so much more laid back. The weather is always great. There are very few crosswinds. It's relatively safe. um, And... Uh, Yeah, there's just uh, this—the way they they make the courses often really suit me as well. They're suit my skill set as a climber. Um, So, yeah, I'd I'd have to say the Volta.
0: I know you've done a lot of different races, but is there a race that you would really like to do that you haven't done yet?
1: Yeah, there there are quite a few. Um, I'd like to do Flanders. Uh, It's one of the last monuments that uh, there are two monuments that I haven't done: Flanders and Roubaix. I don't think I'll ever do Roubaix. uh, I'm a bit too light and uh, uh, I don't have that much of a death wish. But Flanders uh, interests me. And then finally, I think a race that really does interest me is uh, a race race like Tour of Rwanda. I've never raced in Africa um, and I'd like to go to Africa. I I know the World Championships are scheduled to be there in 2025 and I'm really hoping to be there.
0: Who's your favourite current rider?
1: Oh, good question. I think probably Julian Al-Philippe uh, a two-time world champion now uh such an, an amazing rider animated rider uh gets everyone excited when he the way he races um he he's charismatic and uh he's a gentleman he's a really nice person so uh for those reasons uh uh yeah I'd, I'd have to say he's probably my favorite rider in the peloton
0: and who's your favorite rider of all time
1: of all time oh that's a tough question um for me, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, really tough question. Uh, I, I'm gonna, I guess, I'll have to say Swain Topps. He's a Canadian. Uh, came second at the World Championships in uh, uh, the time trial, I believe, in 2008, and just a real mentor to me. Uh, he's really helped me out on several occasions, and um, just not just uh, we, we're, we're very dissimilar as rider types. But as a personality, I've really tried to uh, emulate some of his qualities, um, just how he approaches the sport, how he approached the sport, sorry, I should say, and um, his outlook on life. Uh, Yeah, I I just have always liked him.
0: What's your advice for young riders?
1: I think for young riders is just focus on uh, figuring out a way to enjoy the sport. Uh, uh, It's an amazing sport, um, but it's also extremely hard extremely difficult extremely challenging and if you can't find if you don't enjoy it it's not worth doing uh it's not worth taking the risks so if if you find a way to love it then then regardless of its outcome whether you're you make it to the world tour whether you win bike races or whether you just you know uh do the lo- local crit on, uh, on on a weekday um if you enjoy it then uh, that's what's most important
0: You've got five minutes before you head down to the start of a race. What's on your playlist to get you motivated?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I, I don't like, it depends on the stage and depends on what I have to do. Uh, if it's a time trial, you, I want more pump up music. Whereas if it's uh, a typical GC day and I'm a GC rider, I actually don't like getting too motivated right away because m- my job isn't happening for another four hours. So I have to actually like be cool and chill. Whereas if I'm trying to make in the breakaway again. I want really pump up, pump up music. Um, the other problem with uh, selecting music is that you have seven or six other riders on the bus that you have to cater to as well. Uh, so like maybe what pumps you up is not what works for another guy. And one thing that we did last year that I really enjoyed at the tour was we made a, uh, a, a, a playlist where every rider had to submit five songs uh and they had categories to each and it, it made for an eclectic mix but for me i like uh i like some some uh i like I, I like some uh especially if it's getting the breakaway or doing a time trial um there's a group that i listen to often right now called the blaze which is uh they're kind of like a almost house techno but uh They're they're pretty good. I don't listen to them normally in the day, but if I need to be motivated, I'll listen to The Blaze.
0: Thank you so much for joining me today, Michael.
1: No problem. Thanks so much for the time.
0: Thank you again to Michael for being such an amazing guest. If you have the GCN Plus app, then I would love it if you would give Cycling Talk a follow on there. I really recommend that you watch Monument, The Hunt for Glory on GCN. It's an amazing documentary all about Michael's attempts to try and win Flash Alone and The Age liege on the Age in 2021. You can find all episodes of the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, my Buzzsprout website, and all the usual podcast places. Don’t forget to share the podcast with your friends and follow me on social media. See you on the bike.